Welcome to Mona Moments, a podcast hosted by the Museum of Northwest Art located in LeConnor, Washington. On Saturday, January 25th, 2020, Mona hosted guest curator Kathleen Moles to speak at the exhibition opening of Especially Special, a celebration of Betty Black and her collection of art. We hope you enjoy this Mona moment. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. Here's to Betty Black. (laughs) The title, Especially Special, comes from one of Betty's cousins, who, uh, in condolence after her passing a year ago last December, remarked that everyone is special. Betty was especially special. (laughs) I think we can all agree about that. So I'd like to start with some thanks. Uh, For the exhibition, here are pictures of downstairs. Um, First, of course, we thank Betty for her support of Skagit Valley institutions and artists and friends for decades. They arrived in 1963 and hit the ground running in Mount Vernon. Um, I'd like to thank Betty's daughters, Fiona, Margo, Shona, and their partners, Jim, Mark, and Kate. Steve Klein, who is in Betty's collection, has two pieces and a collaboration with Max Benjamin, came up with this idea. Steve, thank you very much for that. You're the reason we're all here today. Um, For the exhibition, there were several works that needed some loving care and attention and rematting and reframing and cleaning. And for that, we thank Carrie Allison, David Ross of Allison and Ross, and especially Eric Eschenbach, who did some magic on especially the Paul Horiuchi pieces, uh, the screens and the other Excuse painting. Me, sorry. Are we good? I'm trying to turn my volume. Uh, I think that's... Can everybody hear me? Are we okay? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you. This is the back of the time So care and, and repair of artworks, very important, and the family realized that, so they let them go and get repaired and come back up here. Uh, Beth Owens came, uh, a a longtime Mona supporter and docent, came in, was it Thursday, Beth? And said, do you need me to reframe and remount some of these? And she pretty much did it overnight. So there are two pieces that Beth did that just kind of escaped our notice. They were small. So thank you, Beth. (laughs) Greg Robinson, former director of Mona, current curator of NIMA. Greg is, Greg is responsible for all that we can bring today with help from Jessica Pavich and James Arabito. Thank you very, very much. Betty would have loved this. Our volunteer installation crew, Todd Horton, Lucy Mae Van Zanden, Steve and Diana Klein, and Jim Garrett. Thank you very much. And then lighting was done by one man named Bruce Wick who did it all. Thank you, Bruce. We have a book that memorializes this exhibition. And for that, we thank 
Gail Goldman, who designed it. We thank Lisa Kunlein, who took interior photos of Betty's house that you'll see throughout the exhibition and here on an August day. So we just threw open the doors and the light came in and Lisa took some amazing photographs of the art on the walls and of Betty's jewelry. <laughs> we thank everyone who donated to the book project as well. In fact, Fiona just pulled it out and did a Facebook fundraiser last second, so that was clutch and we were able to produce this memento. We also thank Sky Rickendorfer, who's probably gone. No, he's, he's here. Hi, Sky. <laughs> thank you so much for your bagpiping. Thank you. And if you want to see Sky on another time, you're going to use a What a coincidence. Possibly even, today is Robert Burns Day, the Scottish yes. poet. And when we set the date, when the date was set for this exhibition, Fiona said to me, it's Robert Burns Day. And he said, well, it was meant to be. So in honor, I have an excerpt from his Scotch drink poem that he read, uh, just to get us started with good cheer and uh, a couple of photographs to start us off of Betty in her element uh, with Skye, with Mark Iverson, and raising a toast in front of Guy Anderson. <laughs> Kathleen Elizabeth Bain Banks McRae was born in 1928 in Portree, Scotland. She grew up in Wick, and she kept a cottage in Kais, that is Keys. thank you, <laughs> that is still in the family. Ian Black grew up in Wick as well, and he and Betty knew each other as kids. In the 1940s, Betty attended college in Cheltenham while Ian obtained an art degree, served as a naval pilot during the war, then enrolled in medical school. After his graduation in 1950, he and Betty married. Meanwhile, <laughs> um, up top we have Betty on the left and her sister Margot on the right, and Ian is driving. Uh, Ian's best friend and roommate, Jack Sutherland, married Betty's sister, Margot. And Jack came from a line of, was an artist, and, and sandwiched in between two more artists of the Sutherland family. On the top left is Alec Sutherland, top right is Jack Sutherland, and the bottom is Betty with Claire Sutherland Thompson, and Claire's son, Finley. All these works are in Betty's collection, and they represent three generations of artists that she married into. So, continuing the art theme. <clears throat> Betty and Ian had five children, two boys and three girls in that order, each born in a different place, Edinburgh, London, Oclivic, Wilmington, Delaware, and Bellingham. In 1963, the family moved to Mount Vernon to a house on Field Road. And the top row of pictures, we see Betty with a giant cabbage, and Betty in a Fiona, 
Poochie. Poochie dress. Probably had a lot of color to it, right? And I think these two images represent uh, what Dick Weiss said. I, I contacted several artists to, to give us some words about Betty, and they're in the book, they're in the exhibition, and Dick is here today. Thank you, Dick. Dick said, Betty Black was at home, as at home at a diner in Forks as she was at the Museum of Modern Art. I think we see that in the top row. <laughs> Second row has three paintings done by Betty. She studied with Sidney K. Eaton at Skagit Valley College in the 60s. In fact, uh, on the backs of these, I just found out this week, she signed not Betty Black, but K.E. Black. Um, yeah. And the bottom uh, photo is that field bar farmhouse in the flood of 1976. Betty embraced, Betty and her family embraced life in Skagit Valley. Ian would, was a pilot, of course, and... The tulip picture? That's Allison who said especially special. Oh, okay. Yeah. In the tulip picture, we have the cousin who said especially special. <laughs> no, here we go. Um, and um, I, I do also have to thank the sisters for sitting with me in August for an interview. So we just talked about Betty and chronologically and stories and that sort of thing. And they told me about how Ian would fly them up over the tulips uh, in Skagit Valley. So lots of adventure at home, a real uh, adventurous spirit and art all around. So at the same time, Betty was studying with S.K. Eaton at Skagit Valley College. Ann Richards was studying with Faye Chong, who was up from Seattle, guest teaching at Skagit Valley College. In the middle top, we see a, a self-portrait of Ann Richards and flanked by two more of her paintings. Ann came to, this is a hidden story, I think. Ann came to Mount Vernon in 1912 to open a corseteer shop. She was, given, she was given the choice of Bellingham or Mount Vernon, and I think we're very glad she chose Mount Vernon. She was a very tall woman, so from a very early age, six feet tall, would sew her own clothes. So when she came to Mount Vernon in 1912, she opened a dress shop and had that for decades. Uh, she retired from that in the mid-60s and then opened up Gallery 22 with Jim Farr. Meanwhile, Betty, uh, lower left here, uh, opened Betty Black Boutique in 1976 in downtown Mount Vernon, ran that for 10 years, buying trips all over the world, brought uh, designer fashion to the valley. And um, on the lower right, we have a very interesting piece. It's a frog skeleton. Um, by Hilda Behrens, MD. She was a doctor. And she was a previous owner of the house where Betty and Ian and their family moved in 1977, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, I think that piece probably came with the house. Um, and Richards invited Betty and Ian to a party at Hilda Behrens' house. And as they were leaving that party, I imagine this was probably in the 60s, maybe late 60s. Yeah. yeah. As they were leaving the party, Betty turned to Ian and said, just love this house. Well, one day in 1977, <laughs> Ian called Betty and he said, did you really love that house? She said, I did. He said, good, because I bought it. <laughs> 
And what Ian and Betty bought was the L.L. Brotherton house that was designed by Tony Smith, who worked for Frank Lloyd Wright for two years in the late 1930s. The house was built around 1944 for his father-in-law, L.L. Brotherton. Um, L.L. Brotherton's daughter, Jane Lawrence, grew up in Mount Vernon, then moved to New York City, became an actress and an opera singer. That's where she met Tony Smith. Uh, they married shortly thereafter, had three daughters. We see two of the daughters in the middle top image there. One of the daughters is Kiki Smith. Um, and so this house was designed in 1944. Uh, and Betty with, you know, I, I think a theme that runs through the show is Northwest art in this context of amazing international art. And what a thrill for me in this context to be able to talk about Tony Smith Museum of Northwest Art <laughs> because we have this gem in our community. So a little bit more about Tony Smith and his later career. He had 11 finished, realized um, architectural product, projects and many more unrealized. Then he really focused in the 60s on large-scale minimalist sculpture. Uh, these are two pieces in Seattle. Top right is Moses in, at Seattle Center. And bottom right is Stinger in the Olympic Sculpture Park. Betty made sure to visit Tony Smith's sculptures whenever she could, I'm sure. Uh, so on the left, I believe this is the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And in the middle, I think this is MoMA. And at the right, that's Princeton, right, Shona? Yeah, Shona graduated from Princeton, and there was a Tony Smith on the campus. Um, the house is extraordinary. It is based on the hexagon. So this middle image is looking up from the from the basement, there's a spiral staircase, and you look up and you see the skylight. Um, I think we can also see echoes of his sculptural works, uh, lower right, in these architectural features. And uh, the Tony Smith estate is doing a catalog raisonné of both his architecture projects and his art. And so Fiona very kindly invited me to Betty's home in August when the director of the Tony Smith estate and two of her colleagues from the Tony Smith Foundation flew out to see this house. And so we all walked around and looked up and looked around and looked at old photographs and it's like being in grad school again. I just really <laughs> soaked up a lot of that knowledge and, and just to know that this was built during the war. Um, the bricks were barged down from Bellingham from the disassembled post office. Uh, they also used child labor to build some of this because they couldn't find um, enough labor during, during wartime. So, a couple of photos. Here's, here's Ian, uh, top left, mowing the lawn. <laughs> Betty, uh, lower right, with Kiki Smith, who came out for a visit. And on the right, we see that a Skagit Valley artist was inspired by the house as well. This is an R. Allen Jensen from 1999 that's in our show. And I believe that he has taken some, it's a photo collage, and it looks like he's just taken photographs looking up, and he really brings in that hexagonal form uh, with the metopes from the Parthenon along the bottom. So here's an image by Lisa Kunlein of the interior where we see the R. Allen Jensen 
This is just inside the front door. On the left, we have a Claire Thompson, Southern Thompson watercolor. Uh, and on the right, far right, we have a Richard Nash uh, abstract piece. And then if you see the piano with the photographs, another thing we really wanted to do with the exhibition was just bring, bring in the family, bring in the generations. Um, these, everything in Betty's house just sort of coalesced with everything else. So I, I took these family photographs as artworks of their own, and we tried to do a little homage to them in the, in the glass gallery downstairs. Betty and Ian were tireless supporters of arts organizations in Skagit Valley. Um, real philanthropists, uh, they supported artists, nonprofits, including Mona, Skagit Valley College, Island Hospital, and Skagit Symphony. Ian passed away in 1981, and Betty continued her support of artists and philanthropic causes. Another photograph of the interior where we see a Richard Gilkey up top, a Clayton James below, and the Giacometti that I'll also be talking about at the Museum of Northwest Art. Um, as I say, Northwest Art, international art, national art, and then there are the affinities with the Northwest and Scotland, Betty's homeland. On the left, we have Betty in Scotland, on the right, we have Betty in Washington State. And below there are two, the two Steve Klein pieces in Betty's collection. On the left is Balance 36 from the year 2006. And on the right is Exploration 103 from 2007. The piece on the left was inspired by the Ring of Brogdar on Orkney Island. And the piece on the right was inspired by the golden color of the straw fields and all over Kethness, Scotland. Um, but I submit that they also could look like Skagit fields as well. So there's this really beautiful back and forth with Scotland in the Northwest in terms of environment and climate and beauty and light. So here's our quote from Steve Klein. Having both of these pieces in Betty's home was special. Note he didn't say Betty's collection. He said Betty's home. As we actually met for the first time in Scotland at Northland's Creative in Leipster, I showed images of Pilchuck Glass School. After the talk, Betty introduced herself, said she was a friend of Angold Halberg's, who's a, a co-founder, of course, of Pilchuck, and that she lived in Washington. We talked, and when I told her I lived in Laconner, she said, well, I live in Mount Vernon. <laughs> From that point on, we were friends. <laughs> Uh, I wish we could fit more in the exhibition. Um, <laughs> you know, just the masks alone in this massive Indian metal vessel. I said to Fiona, where did this come from? She said, I have no idea. <laughs> How does something that big just show up? I just showed up. Um, art was everywhere. It was in the rafters, it was in the basement. Um, we really had a lot of fun going through it all. And again, um, you know, this clear cedar that was used. Uh, the house is, is Betty's, was Betty's biggest artwork, and she really took care of it. She didn't alter it in any way. So here's a mini panorama uh, in, from the dining room, looking around to the living space of how the art was installed before it was taken away to be conserved and repaired. 
and in the glass gallery downstairs, I've attempted to do a little bit of that salon style to get that flavor. Uh, it's uncanny, just it all hung together beautifully. It all just made visual sense. And here we see Betty near that giant hearth um, with the Horiuchi behind her, in, actually in both photographs. Mm -hmm. And then on the right, we have a selection of Philip Levine sculptures. Um, when Betty loved an artist's work, she just collected and collected and collected. So she has five of Philip Levine sculptures. And Phil was wonderful. He sent me an email right away when I asked if he wanted to say something about Betty. And he said, Betty was a warm, generous person with great honesty and passion and intelligence in life and for the arts. Her support of the arts in the region helped make the Northwest art community a vibrant one. She really, really did do that. So Phil shares the, the bench mantle with the sculpture that Betty purchased at auction in California in the early 1990s by Alberto Giacometti. She wrote to James Lord, who wrote the book about Giacometti, a biography, and he wrote back, I would love to see what letter Betty sent to him. <laughs> we do have the letter from James Lord, the response, inviting her to Paris, to his city home or his country home, whichever worked for her, congratulating her on the purchase of a Venetian lady. Um, it is a posthumous cast. So it's probably not worth $38 million, <laughs> but Damn. sadly. Damn. But we were hoping. <laughs> it does trace back to a series of plasters that Giacometti did for the French pavilion at the 1956 Venice Biennale. Um, I think it most closely resembles the second one from the left here, where we see Giacometti in the black and white photograph. Betty's other collections included caftans and dresses. All of Betty's daughters are wearing her dresses today, and I am wearing a dress of Betty's as well. <laughs> Thank you. Jewelry, hats, here's some, just a tiny little bit of jewelry. We've stuffed all we could into that vitrine downstairs. That is belong to Ann Richards, the top, the big one. The top left? Yes. Belong to Ann Richards. I love this. Let's do the book over. <laughs> um, and again, fundraisers inside and outside of the home, inviting artists in. Top left, we've, we've got the family, but look what's above them. Look at all that blue architecture happening. It's just a stunning building. Below that, we have Alan and Chris Elliott, who are here with us today. And below that is uh, one of Chris's two paintings in the show titled Pensive Moment from 2005. And here is what Chris Elliott said about Betty. Betty had a personal relationship with many of the artists whose work she collected. Betty and her patronage had a profoundly positive effect on my growth and confidence as a painter. I'm sure she had the same effect on many other artists. And I think we can guarantee she did. So middle, middle photograph is Guy Anderson and Betty with Roland Terry and Mark Iverson. 
Below that, we can see Ann Gould Halberg sitting outside on the right-hand side. We've got a letter from Ann to Betty where she uses the word special over and over again in the letter and then apologizes it and says, but no, it's true, she'll be special. <laughs> so I think she recognized a kindred spirit in terms of patronage of art and artists and nonprofits. Top right, we have Barbara Straker James and Clayton James. <laughs> and lower right, we've got Arnie Garborg and Alden Mason at one of Betty's garden parties. Perhaps the most exciting instance of Betty's passion for collecting art happened at the annual auction here at Mona in 2011. I was there. I think many of you, if, if you were there, raise your hand. <laughs> um, Joel Brock's Carly's Mystic Flower, which is on our curve wall, was the um, front of the catalog, was a cover of the catalog. Thank Earlene Beckus for that. Um, very special piece that he made specifically for the auction that year. And Betty saw the catalog and said, I'm going to get that painting. <laughs> what she didn't know is that somebody else had that idea too. <laughs> so there ensued a lively bidding war. Um, and I just remember looking at Joel in the back of the tent and he's holding his daughter's hands on either side of them and he's just getting redder and redder and redder, just beating. <laughs> And Betty won. And <laughs> she uh, paid six times the pre-auction estimate. <laughs> so we like to think of it as a homecoming that is back with us now for this exhibition. Betty's adventure uh, also extended to her many travels around the world with her family over the years. Um, I think it was Margot who had the story that you know they'd be on an airplane, whether it was the Concorde to Paris or wherever, and they'd just be giggling, and the passengers would be looking over and saying, they can't be mother and daughter. They're having too much fun. They're laughing too much. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I really think that uh, Betty's love for travel uh, expanded and paralleled her love for collecting art, and she did bring back many treasures from trips to, you know, the Coromandel screen is from Hong Kong from 1978. Um, you know, other trips included China and Russia and New York and her beloved Paris. And so today I'd like to just end with another Robert Burns excerpt of Old Anxiety. Um, the bottom photograph was taken on New Year's Eve in 1999, Scotland. Betty is wearing this fabulous Pauline Trigere necklace that Shona is wearing today with us. And um, I think we can all agree that, that Betty was really one of a kind. And artist after artist and person after person said she was the queen. And, and I, I didn't repeat that because that, I, you know, she also, was the people, you know, she just, once you were in her home, you were in her embrace, and, you know, there was no hierarchy. So, um, once again, here's to Betty, and we thank the family for sharing so much of her with us, and we're thrilled that we get to take a book with us and remember Betty forever after. Um, I'd like to invite some folks to come up and share their thoughts about Betty and memories and make us laugh a little bit more. Okay, Fiona. Fiona's coming up. 
I just want to make, I'm not going to say things about Betty, because you don't know. <laughs> um, but I want to thank so many people, particularly Kathleen, yeah. who, yeah. oh my God. So wonderful. And I also would like to thank Steve Klein, who came up with the idea yes. for this show. And he came over to the house and said, look, what do you think? And I'm, we're all like, yeah. Uh, Betty would love this. She'd love that it's standing room only at her an opening of her art exhibition. She would absolutely be thrilled. Um, so... Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, all the people who donated to the show. Thank you to um, Sky for playing the bagpipes. He, he has any important event in our family's life for the last 40 years. Uh, Sky has played the bagpipes, including for her 90th birthday, which she was so happy. And yeah. Um, so I'd also like to thank those people that helped, like Jim Garrett, thank you um, for helping so much to get it set up, and Diana, you, Klein also, um, Margo, am I forgetting who else was I going to thank? I, I'm, I'm a little bit emotional, <laughs> um, but thank you all for coming, I think, honestly, it's a wonderful, wonderful show. Yeah. Um, and. Thank you all for coming out. Um, who else would like to come up and say a word? Or, and thank you to the museum. Yes. <laughs> That's who I wanted to thank. <laughs> it's like, whoops, yep. kind of forgetting the main thing there. Um, so who wants to come up and say a word about Betty? Come on. <laughs> Here comes Diane. Oh, long, long time friends of Betty's. <laughs> Diane Studley. Well, this is all about Betty, but it's also about Ian. Yes. <laughs> and Ian and Betty were the most in love couple that mm. I ever met. And um, Ian and his dry sense of humor <laughs> was so funny. And he just adored Betty. And, they just didn't have enough time together. But they actually lived the lowest, and it is on Francis Road, not Field oh, Road. Yes. And that's okay. okay. That's okay. <laughs> we got the F right. Okay. But in the, in the, we had moved here in 75, and it's 76, and there's this big flood, and we're hearing everything on KBRC, and we're above Betty and Ian, and we're going, well, they must know that it floods, and um, it flooded, and they were still down there, and they had the sheep, and Don Perry, who we also love, was um, uh, Ian's partner. Uh, they were hauling these sheep into a boat below us, and you know how heavy sheep are with all their wool, and wet sheep are getting heavier. <laughs> Rats jumping off. <laughs> um, so I mean, that's just a part of Betty and Ian's life, and they they were both exceptional and wonderful. Anybody <laughs> else?
I know Betty through the daughter Fiona and Jim and their son Ian. Our our uh, our son Ian, our son Ray and Ian. We're about the same age, and when and so you know how parents get together when their kids get together, and so that's how I met Betty. And um, Betty for me was really nifty because a lot of collectors perhaps cop an attitude. Um, they wear their collection in a certain manner and everything, but. She was so down home and just uh, a real person that it was just so easy being in her presence and um, she was obviously passionate and yet it had that sort of kindergarten quality of passionate that is just uh, <laughs> like could make anybody feel pretty much at home and so uh, it was a delight being in her presence. It's unusual to have a person that is so smart and so much into something, and yet so, what's the term, sort of plebeian about the way they are with the world, mm -hmm. would greet anyone, yeah. anybody in this room. Mm -hmm. She would be interested in, find interesting to deal with, and uh, you know, she. I think she liked herself, which put you at ease because she could say ridiculous things and no problem. It was all fine. Anyway, she was a hoot. I wish you guys all had time with her. Last chance and we could just continue the conversations with the great food and wine. Yes. So enjoy everybody. Thank you again.